Hello UW Platteville. In today's episode, I'm with Professor Philip Pip Gordon. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, I shall introduce myself. So for those of you who have been on campus for a while, it's, it's just Dr. Pip, but the Philip Gordon is the official name. Uh, so I was hired here in 2014, so I'm in my eighth year here at the university. Um, I teach classes in College Writing One, American Literature, I've taught film classes. I will teach Shakespeare in the coming semester. Um, I've taught a variety of courses on ethnic American literatures, uh, like Native American literature and intro to multi-ethnic American lit. Um, but my bread and butter at the university is that I teach um, our gay studies uh, courses, including gay and lesbian literature, gay and lesbian literature for young adults, and intro to gay studies, as well as independent studies for advanced students in more specific topics. Uh, and yeah, so currently I'm actually working on a couple of uh, projects relevant to young adult literature, uh, very contemporary young adult literature, and using a class on gay and lesbian literature for young adults to mine ideas from my students that I will then claim for my own. Not really, but really. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, there's, there's sort of the, the, the long and the short about me. I don't know if, if the average student has heard of the famous Dr. Pip or not, but here's your chance. So. All right, so in class a few weeks ago, we talked about censorship in schools regarding uh, texts that are YA literature or featuring queer protagonists. I thought this is a contemporary problem that would be great to explore, so would you be able to explain censorship a little bit? So when you ask the question to explain censorship, but then also mention that this is a contemporary problem, you actually sort of open up a can of worms in that it's not a contemporary problem. Um, one of the most famous cases of a book being banned for what at the time was considered just obscenity is actually from 1928, a queer novel, this was before young adult fiction was its own separate genre, but a queer novel called The Well of Loneliness in England. Um, when it was published, the fact that it was explicitly queer and the fact that the queer protagonist was meant to be seen as a human, we were meant to be sympathetic with her plight was enough that that book was actually, it was, it was brought to trial and it was, it was challenged and it was considered obscene. And some of the major literary figures of the day uh, came out to speak openly about while they didn't think the book was well written and they really panned sort of its, its artistry, they said that it should still be for the matters of free speech and artistic expression. It should be allowed to be in print. The courts didn't agree in Great Britain. The courts in the United States didn't really mind. But simultaneously in the United States through the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even into the 50s to an extent, um, if you had queer literature, that would be literature about gay or lesbian identities or any other identities like, tangential to what we think of as LGBTQ plus identities, um, it's not so much that there were active efforts to quote unquote ban it or censor it so much as there were laws in place that would prevent you from sharing those documents. Primarily, you couldn't mail those documents because when you put them in the mail, it becomes a matter of the federal government. And if you mail it, you can be convicted for things like mailing pornography or other things like that. So these were ways in which books were, in books and ideas were kept back. And this has gone on for well over a century now. When we think of censorship, generally, we sometimes sort of misunderstand what it means. Censorship in its broadest sort of definition would be when there is an effort by some kind of institution or authority to prevent 
certain knowledge from being shared. We think of a picture where there's a black strip over the naughty bits of a person or something like that. This part's been censored out or bleeping expletives or something is a type of censorship. But especially when it comes to like literary works, very rarely in 2020 and 2021 are there efforts by like the government, that big thing in the sky, just like say we can't share like knowledge. It's been pretty well decided by the Supreme Courts that almost everything is in some way protected by free speech, etc. But in a more local capacity, books that have uh, content that, that people object to, they're not so much censored as what will happen is either teachers or a local group of activists or members of a school board will challenge the book basically saying they believe the book shouldn't be involved in education or maybe even shouldn't be in the local library. And then if it's challenged, once it's challenged, it can in fact be banned. There is no book that I'm aware of off the top of my head that is currently like banned nationwide or federally. There are books that are taught in one school district, but the next school district over actually does not allow that book into their school district. It's very kind of piecemeal. Um, and so right now when we think about a topic like censorship as it applies to literature, we're usually talking about challenged books and then books that actually once they have been challenged are in fact removed from libraries or no longer allowed to be taught in classrooms. And at least until very recently, that was a process that was localized to local school boards and people who were sort of maintaining the status quo at at individual in individual school districts admittedly lately there has been an uptick in oversight from state governments and to an extent calls for federal governments to be more involved in this too but that kind of gets into broader stuff awesome okay so uh, why do you feel that schools are uh, challenging a bunch of these books and are there any uh, specifically that are commonly being uh, challenged in schools today. So as someone who studies uh, queer literature, LGBTQ plus literature, I, I keep my eye out for instances where books that have queer characters or queer themes are challenged or, or sometimes outright banned. Um, and there is, that, that happens a lot. That is a, 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 there's a real across the nation, even in places where we would think you would have relatively more, say, liberal demographics, there can be instances where schools ban a book in some capacity or refuse to have that book as part of a curriculum. Um, lately, there's been several instances of high schools trying to put on plays and the plays include content, like one scene or one minor um, subplot that might include queer content. And that's enough where the play will be, will be banned or the school will say you can't do that. I'm most familiar with the conversation on like that kind of version of banning books as a type of censorship. But actually, when you think historically about books, and historically being back to say the late 70s through the 80s, I don't wanna go back into like the ancient, ancient days or something. <laughs> um, but when we think about historically in that kind of context, sort of the, the four big areas where books regularly find themselves being challenged is if they, if, if they are books that are presented to school-aged kids of various ages, if they are considered to have content that is related to drug use, if they're considered to have content that is related to sex at all, um, that is considered to be too, too advanced for the readers. 
if they have queer content, specifically queer content, or if they present issues of racial or ethnic injustice that certain local audiences feel are, are not appropriate. Interestingly, until recently, one of the key ways in which race and ethnicity became an issue for books to be challenged or banned was usually because the books included language such as the, the famous N-word and people didn't want those books such as Huck Finn or even to an extent To Kill a Mockingbird uh, incorporated because they actually still produced uh, evidence of like racial pejoratives that could be harmful to, uh, to minority students. There has certainly been a sea change in terms of when and how books with regard to race and ethnicity are being challenged today. Um, and again, as I say, I'm most familiar with how queer books um, have fallen on the radar to be banned. Um, there is the American Library Association keeps a yearly list of the most challenged books in America. And in the past 10 years, when you look at the list, it is very heavily populated by books that are being challenged because they have trans characters or gender nonconforming characters or just sort of garden variety gay and lesbian characters or bisexual characters. Sexuality and gender identity are very much the, like at the forefront of what gets books challenged in these, to this day and age. Except in the last year, the reverse has been that the list is now very much populated by books that are, that are considered to somehow advance this, this boogeyman of critical race theory. And there, the, the shift has been enormous, whereas in 2019, nine of the, ten, of the top 10 challenge books were LGBTQ plus related. Now only, I think, two of the books in the top 10 are LGBTQ plus related, and all the rest are specifically being challenged or banned because parents or school board members or state and local governments are starting to consider that those books, uh, that certain books are presenting history that might make, say, white students uncomfortable having to confront racism. And books that specifically address anti-racism are being challenged in great numbers. And certainly the few books that combine images or like representation of like racial and ethnic identities intersected with sexual orientation are books that are, are finding themselves more and more challenged today. All right, there's a class that I took in high school at a different college that was Native American history. And at the very beginning of the class, the professor goes, don't, don't even say the word we. Get that out of your head, because that was them. That's not us now. And we learned so much more mm -hmm. than, oh yeah, we sat down at Thanksgiving and had a great meal and we were happy. We learned so much more that, um, Colonials would do to Native Americans and uh, the BIA before they mm -hmm. were better. Well, I mean, the fact that you had a high school class where you, you learned what like the BIA was, or that you talked about language that's kind of the language of colonizers, uh, is great. And in a sense, that's what education should do. Um, in recent years, as more and more classes, as more and more teachers have kind of confronted that that the histories of not teaching those topics and wanting to incorporate them and the way that education's always like progressed to teach more topics. Well, the more we teach topics that, that include diversity and that include trying to think more broadly than like a one singular history or experience, the more there has been a kind of an upswing in efforts at censorship. And earlier I mentioned that traditionally efforts to challenge and ban books have been relatively localized in the last 
few months, there have been efforts, even here in the state of Wisconsin, where state legislatures are actually passing bills that identify explicitly language that teachers are not allowed to use in schools. That's outright censorship. That is quite literally the matter of putting the black line on the naughty bits. You're not allowed to say the word, say, racism. So what do you, how do you talk around it? And actually in the state of Wisconsin, there's currently a bill that has been debated at the state legislature. It is, it is not passed both houses of the, of the legislature and the governor has no intention of signing it. So it's not gonna become law in the immediate future or anything like that. But it literally lists like 40 or some odd terms, almost every single one of which relates to race relations that are banned. Interestingly, some of those terms also include things like intersectionality which is a term that often comes back towards gender studies and sexuality studies. But as someone who spent a career studying you know, queer literatures, um, queer literatures have often been targeted in the ways that, that you know, critical race theory is being targeted now, um, but not quite with such like holistic vehemence. It's much more of a localized thing where certain school districts realize that there's books that might present something about gender identity and parents get all up in arms about it. But there's less evidence of statewide efforts by lawmakers to pass a list of terms that can't be taught relevant to sexuality. Whereas right now we are in, in real time seeing, certainly not just in Wisconsin and many states, like just out, outright bans on certain words and certain topics whether or not some of those laws will stand up in court when they're challenged on the basis of free speech remains to be seen. But it has been since around the start of 2021 that the idea of censorship has moved from a local school board meeting where they're discussing whether or not a specific book belongs in this specific school's library to state legislatures pronouncing that certain topics will be removed from schools. Um, most famously, this there was a instance out of Texas with a new law that is in effect in Texas that requires teaching of quote-unquote both sides and also requires certain books to be removed from uh, literally just literally taken out of the classroom. The books they're taking out of classrooms are books about like anti-racist pedagogy. Meanwhile there was a woman sitting in a school board meeting, well not school board meeting, I apologize, in a, like a teacher orientation meeting who was recording it and so on record there is a discussion of if you're going to teach books about the Holocaust, you have to include books about the other side. And the room full of teachers all speak up, what's the other side of the Holocaust, <laughs> right? Um, but but the, the, the way the state law is written requires that. And obviously that sounds horrible and it and is like horrible. What does that mean? Reading Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler or something. But in efforts to ban books, in efforts at censorship, there's simultaneously an effort to bring in some books that are in libraries but are definitely not part of regular curriculum because we would generally consider them deeply distasteful. So is for uh, gay and lesbian literature for young adults, uh, are there any examples from class where the books that you chose uh, were censored before or still are and you couldn't get them for class? So this semester I'm teaching gay and lesbian literature for young adults. This is the fourth time I've taught that course since 2015. The second time I've taught it to a full class of students, I've taught it twice as independent studies. This semester in particular, I chose, with one exception, a book from 1982. All the other books are from the past five years. I 
do not know if any books have specifically been challenged, but I would not be surprised to find out if, say, uh, Becky Alvertelli's Simon vs. Homo Sapiens Agenda has been challenged. That book came out in 2016. It became an immediate bestseller. It became a, an award-winning film um, that, that was very popular and got a lot of buzz. Because of that publicity, I suspect that many school boards were keen to put that book in at least a student library somewhere. Um, and as that book has appeared in libraries, I'm positive that there are some school districts where there was controversy and discussion. But on the whole, the books I've picked are so new that they haven't quite gotten that attention uh, yet this semester. In semesters past, yes, I have taught books that have been regularly challenged. In fact, um, I might have the year wrong on this. I want to say it was January of 2017. Over in Prairie du Chien, just, just north of us here, um, an hour's drive away, I like to say, though everyone when they hear me say that reminds me that I don't drive fast, uh, perhaps closer than an hour. Prairie du Chien had a high school teacher who was using a book called The 57 Bus in class. This is a young adult nonfiction book about an instance where, a, where an agender individual, this would be someone who identifies without gender, um, was riding home on a city bus one day and another person came up, saw this individual, and thought it would be funny to set their dress on fire. The dress being made of polyester immediately erupts into a fireball, and the individual wakes up, mercifully lives, but has to undergo numerous surgeries uh, and a long recovery process. And obviously, it's just a terrible, terrible story. Um, both the people involved were teenagers. So it becomes a, a young adult book, the, the moral of which is don't set people on fire, like, which <laughs> seems like the kind of moral I'd want my kids to learn about. You know? um, but uh, the book was being taught by a, by a teacher in the high school who was using it in a reading class where he was just having students read aloud a paragraph at a time and then moving around so every student got to read aloud. Well, parents found out about it. The book was challenged in Prairie du Chien. They attempted to ban it. They ended up getting a lot of publicity for the book, so much publicity that actually we decided here at the university to make the 57 bus a campus climate university-wide book club read uh, for the following year. And I actually incorporated the book at that time. I was, in, I was teaching gay and lesbian lit as an independent study at the time, so I added it to that syllabus uh, for the four students in independent study. And I also added it to my Intro to Gay Studies course and have taught it a few times, specifically to highlight how it was challenged the next county over just across the river, the Wisconsin River. Um, so that was sort of my one way of trying to, frankly, make a point out of if a local high school is going to attempt to ban this book, well then the college that those high school students might most likely attend would be a place where we would have that book on the shelves, available for students to read, and in a classroom setting where students could discuss it. Um, so I, sometimes I do make the effort to put those books in. This semester, um, some of the books famously kind of being challenged in the last few years just didn't end up on my list because at the same time, there's also a whole number of other books I could have drawn from, and I did. So, Awesome. Well, is there anything else um, that you would like to mention or bring up? No, I, it was interesting. I said, no, now let me answer at length that question, right? You know, it's like, no, there's nothing else I want to bring up. But So I guess it was, it was fascinating when you asked to, be, to interview me for the podcast because as I started thinking about this question of censorship and I gave a presentation on our campus Rainbow Ray sort of talking about this question of censorship. Um, 
censorship, especially for queer text, is is the oldest trick in the book for in terms of when we think about pedagogies and, the, and what we're going to teach. Queer representation has been part of pedagogy for a long time, just usually closeted queer stuff, right? Um, have we having so many more options for queer literature has led to a lot more instances of that queer literature being challenged as people attempt to censor that that literature would be allowed to be taught to students um, at the high school level, much less the middle school level, much less there's even children's books for the elementary school level that attempt to broach these themes in some way. But we also are now living through a moment where just sort of nationally and in fact globally there's been a real uptick in efforts to to subvert diversity um, a, a, attacks on what's sometimes called loosely quote-unquote gender ideology if our country is facing this 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 long conversation about the boogeyman of critical race theory which the vast majority of people are completely misusing that term um, internationally other nations are going through the same discussions with questions of the quote-unquote gender ideology which is the notion that 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 all this stuff about trans identities and all this stuff about like um, sexual orientations is all just some big ploy to destroy the natural family unit and unman men and make unnatural women or something like that. And it's a very dangerous um, ideology, especially spreading through uh, Eastern and Western Europe and through the, and through the former Soviet Union uh, and in other countries. This is a big conversation they're having. And in this country, we've moved from people who are invested in queer literatures constantly having to think about the nature of the books and whether or not they could be taught at what level to suddenly having an odd reprieve where all the attention is being placed on books about race and ethnicity in a way that's a very very clear return to explicit efforts at censorship at the state level and it's just been really sort of eye-opening to see us at that moment. Thank you to Professor Pip for sitting down with the exponent today to talk about censorship and its challenges. This podcast is a project of UW-Platteville Exponent, the oldest continuously published student newspaper in Wisconsin, and was produced by Connor Campbell.